please help me welcome Reverend Garrett Bovath. Good morning, you guys. Hope you guys are doing awesome. Man, that was a great song. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Jess. Yeah, so guys, thanks for being so patient and dynamic with us. We are really navigating through some times right now, which is good. Um, it's just a, it's a straight walk by the Spirit. And we're thankful that, you know, man, we can just have technology to be able to, to get a message to you, that you could be at home or in your car uh, or even watch this later. And, um, and we can grow in the truth, right? Because there's a lot of things that we feed on in the world. There's a lot of things that are waging for your attention. And to have God's word and to have brothers and sisters in Christ to build you up in a knowledge of the truth, that is uh, essentially teaching us, okay, hey, look, this is who we are and this is how it's like us to act. And that's what the body of Christ is for. We build each other up. But um, one thing, you know, I didn't realize that, that this is where God would lead me into speaking this morning, but I feel like in light of the times that we're in, uh, I got to talk about a little something here. Um, I mean, with the election week, with, you know, the pandemic that we're, you know, in the middle of, uh, I, I just want to remind us that all is, all is well, Okay. And, and now that's not to belittle the, the, the big things that are present, okay? There are issues in our country. There is, you know, there is people dying from this pandemic. But I just want us to understand this and be reassured with the fact that God's hand is at work. God is in the middle of it. And those who belong to his kingdom, it is well. It is, it is very well. I was thinking about the kingdom's... Uh, in the past, um, you know, I, I see two major kingdoms, one in the Old Testament, which is the Egyptians, and I see how God's hand was at work there. You see, the children of Israel were slaves to Egypt for 400 years, 400 years, being God's chosen people, God's having his hand upon those people, but yet they're still in slavery for 400 years years. We haven't even been a country for 400 years. We've been a country for 244 years. And yet, even in that kingdom, even under slavery to the Egyptians, God raised up this guy, Moses, to be uh, trained and to, to grow up and to, to be raised in Pharaoh's household. And that is who God sent to deliver the children of Israel. My point in saying this is that God's hand is at work whether you necessarily see it or not. We're going to be able to look at these times and we're going to be able to just recount the testimonies and the goodness of God and the way that God delivered for his people, the way that God was able to bring peace in the middle of a storm, in the maybe the middle of a financial crisis for you, or maybe in the middle of, you know, some serious health concerns. God is still present and he is still at work and there's a great story to tell there's a great story to tell and that story is not going to be finished at the end of your life in the last breath you take that story is going to be finished and that story is going to be told throughout all of eternity of God's hand and his goodness I think about the Roman Empire a very oppressive kingdom 
in the New Testament now. In all of history, one of the most oppressive and one of the most powerful kingdoms that has ever been around. And yet from that kingdom, God raises up the Messiah. He brings forth the Messiah. And then through that evolves Christianity. He decided in that time frame, when that government was oppressing the people, a mighty world let me say this. Yeah. A very oppressive government in the world. God raises up his people to follow after the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Again, we get to talk about these testimonies that happen after the fact. Right? My point in saying this is, look at all of history. God's hand has been in it. So no matter what happens right now with where we're at, you're going to be able to tell a story of deliverance. You're going to be able to tell a story of God's hand and his love and his faithfulness and his steadfastness for those that call upon him. So rest assured, when I say all is well, it is well. It is well. It is good. It is, let it be good with your soul. Let it be good with your soul. One of, my, one of my, my dear friends and, and a leader here at this church, he was giving a speech on his daughter's wedding. His name's Tim Alaska. And he made a statement that I'll never forget. He says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I don't think he made that up. I'm sure he got that somewhere. But I remember it coming from his lips. And that is so true. Look, I don't know what's going to happen with our country. I don't, we don't know what's going to happen with our governments. But... Rest assured, I know who holds the future, and let that bring you good hope, okay? Let that give you hope. Let that give you peace right now with where we're at. And so my, my, my heart this morning is to convey this message. Maybe that's a run-up to, to where we're going, but don't think like an orphan. Don't think like someone who doesn't have a secure place to live and dwell, because you do. You do. In the kingdom of God, you have safety, you have security, peace is available, joy is available, and this is all what's available to us in the family of God. So I don't want us to fret, I don't want us to be fearful, I don't want us to be discouraged with the current events. Again, I'm not making, I'm not, I don't, I'm not taking them lightly, okay? I want to be, I, I, I'm, I'm not taking them lightly, hear me correctly. But what I'm telling you is there is a place to fix your gaze your gaze, there's a place to draw peace and hope from, and there's a God who loves you, and you have a position in this day and age to look different than the world system, than people who are under the kingdom of the world. Colossians says that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness, and we've been transferred by his beloved son into the kingdom of light. So there's two different places to live, either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. We once lived in the kingdom of darkness before Christ, but God has adopted us and brought us into his family, which is the kingdom of light. So we as children of the kingdom of light now, we ought to look and talk a little differently. We ought to have a hope that the world doesn't necessarily understand. And they get to see the hope that we have, and then they can understand it. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be discouraged about either our present circumstance or what's going to happen down the road. I was thinking about this and uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. 
I almost got locked out of my iPad. That would have been fun. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out. <laughs> Good thing the message is in my heart. Very well. Joshua 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. God tells Joshua, he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous. Don't be frightened, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's encouragement to Joshua is don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. You have a God that loves you. You have have a God that's going to go with you wherever you go, no matter what you're in, no matter what you're facing. So I was thinking about this, like, this whole thing with fear, right? This whole thing with discouragement. Like, when did that, when did that happen? You know, when, when did people start getting fearful? And we got to go back to the garden. I feel like when, when everyone says, like, well, let's go back to the garden. Let's go back to Genesis. Like, it's going to be, like, a really long teaching. Um, but <laughs> let's go to Genesis now. Uh, for real, let's go to Genesis Chapter 2, verse 16. So, you got to understand how things were when God originally created them. The things, the things we see and feel are not the ways in this life that God had originally created. We've we got to get that to understand God's purpose and his plan and ultimately understand why we needed a Messiah, why Jesus came, why we need to accept Christ to then have that relationship with God restored back to us. So God, he creates everything, the heavens, the earth, he creates man, and he gives dominion. He he tells man, he says, you've got dominion over everything. Everything you see, touch, and feel, every plant that yields, that's got a yielding seed, you know, it's yours. You've got it all. You've got all. In fact, the animals that I've created for you, I'm going to bring them to you, and you get to name them. Whatever you want to name them, you can name them, whatever you want to name them. But I'm going to bring them to you. You see this partnership, okay, between God and man. And then God says one thing. He's like, I- I'm going to give you all this, but there's, w- there's one rule I'm going to instill. And the Lord God, in chapter 2, verse 16 of Genesis, he says, uh, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God said, I'm going to give you just one rule. You've got free reign here. You've got dominion. I've created you, and I've formed Eve. And what I want you guys to do, multiply, subdue the earth. But just one thing, don't eat from that tree, okay? Or else you're going to die. Now jump to uh, the next chapter in chapter 3. Stay with me. Verse 6. We know the story. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man. He said, where are you? And he said, I I heard a sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave me to be with me gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This is the promise of the Messiah. Here we go. The very first promise that God gave of a redeemer. I will put in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All's good in the garden. All's good between God and man. The relationship between God and man was perfect between Adam and Eve. There's this partnership in life. There was fellowship between the two of them. Man was made up of body, soul, and spirit. When man disobeyed God, that one sin, that one misstep, Adam died. Eve died. And yet they're still talking with God. But what happened was they died spiritually. They lost their connection to the Father. And it's at that point in time, we read later, that God sends them out of the garden, this place in which he had made for them. But point is, they don't have a relationship with God anymore like they had. Something changed. And once that relationship changed, they started running. They started getting real wise in their own eyes, like, oh, we're naked. They started running. They started hiding. There was shame. There was guilt. And they were afraid. Never before had men ever been afraid. That's, that's the first time the Bible records of someone being afraid. And it was because the relationship was severed with their creator. When we have a, a relationship that is secure with God, the things that we deal with on the outside don't hold the weight that they hold for those that are outside of that relationship with God. But God, he's so good, he's so, ch- he's so loving, he's got a plan. And that's why in 3.15, he says, you know what? There is this generational curse of death and broken fellowship between me and man, but I'm going to send my redeemer. I'm going to send a seed that is going to reverse that, something that's going to reconcile my creation back to me and restore this relationship. In Romans 5, 18, this is how it works. 18 and and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, trespass is like fault or misstep, 
led to condemnation. This is referring to Adam now. It led to a condemning sentence for all of men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So in other words, Adam messed up. He died, lost the spirit. We no longer had connection with God. And because of that one man's disobedience, death reigned. And then because of one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, he restored that. He restored that for us. And we know this, but I want us to believe it. There's a big difference between just knowing something's true and actually believing the truth. Ephesians goes into it a little bit more. And this is who we are, right? This is what we've been given because of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, God, predestined us, and that means to determine beforehand, he, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ this is, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace. If you jump to the next chapter in chapter 2, verse 18, for through him, through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we once, like Adam and Eve, were far from God. Yeah, there's shame, there's condemnation, there's guilt. We're running from the things that we had done. We don't feel worthy to approach God. We think we know it all. We think we're real smart. We're getting information from the world just like Adam was getting information from the devil when he said, oh, it doesn't record it, but the devil's like, yo, you're naked. And then Adam's like, oh. <laughs> and that's why God was like, who told you you're naked? When you think about a little kid, our kids, they never worried, when they were little, they never worried about being naked. Ever. Ever. There's that sense of purity and there's that sense of uh, just innocence in a child. But as they get older, they're trained by the world, they hear other things, they get the look and they get the eye that maybe you shouldn't do that. And then they, it's, it becomes a shameful thing. The point is, we all once were taking information from the world. We all once were running from our mistakes. We all once had broken fellowship with the Father prior to Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so good. See, it's like we... We lived on the outside of a home that had a great family in it. And when you look at the adoption process, I was thinking about this. It's like, in any adoption process, 
someone says, you're worthy. I want you. I choose you. I choose you. And I'm going to go through a process to obtain you legally as mine. I'm going to pay a price. And then I'm going to bring you into my family as if you are now my blood, my own. And see, that is what happened to us in Christ. That's why God said that we've, we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And so now, in God's family, we have to now take on a new mindset. We have to now think the way that God thinks, who is our father. We have to take on a new identity. Just picture this. If you were to adopt a kid, an orphan who was on the streets, who had to constantly worry about where his next meal was coming from, constantly worry about where he was going to sleep at night, if he had a, a bed and a pillow to lay his head down on, if he had to constantly worry about getting caught because he was stealing things to be able to live a life and to, to sustain him. And you take that kid, that orphan, and you bring him into your house, that child has taken on a new identity, a new last name, and he doesn't have to worry about where he's getting his food. He doesn't have to worry about where he's going to lay his head down. He doesn't have to worry about being loved. He has a place. He has a home. And that's like you and me, like in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. We can't be thinking like orphans anymore. You can't be thinking with a spirit of fear anymore. Romans says this. We're going to jump again to Romans. Um, Chapter 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is like that term of endearment for like daddy. We can, we can approach God like that now. We don't have to hide from him. So my point is in the family of God, we now look to our big brother, Jesus Christ in whom we are now a fellow heir of, Scripture says. And so we learn from him. We learn the new way to think, the new way to talk. So when we, when we uh, hear me, when we go to school and we go out in public, when we leave the house, we can represent our family name very well. We can still think in accordance to our new identity. So when you go to school, you go to hang out in, let's say, those same circles where there's many other orphans, you don't have to think like them anymore. You don't have to be influenced by the same pressures that they are influenced by. Am I making sense here? A little bit? When our relationship with the Father became restored through Christ Jesus, that means that we don't have to be a slave to the old way of thinking. And that's the process of like renewing the mind, okay? So what do we do? Like, what's our job in all of this? Does that mean just because we belong to the kingdom of God, we're going to be people who just step back, don't vote, don't care, you know? No. There's things that we have to do in this life, but it's, it's, it's through this new lens. It's through the commandment of whom we call our Lord, which is Jesus. When Jesus was asked, 
what the greatest commandment is. Jesus says in Luke 10, 27, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So in light of those two commands, that I will love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, I will also love my neighbor as myself. And in light of those two commandments, I go and live life. I, I'm a father. Uh, I'm a businessman. I'm a friend. I, I'm, I'm all these things, and I operate in the world, but it's in light of my new identity. It's in light of me having a new name, a new last name, essentially. I'm no longer an orphan. And I don't have to think like an orphan anymore. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4, Paul writes, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits or the affairs, affairs of everyday life, since it is his aim to please the one who enlisted him. There's a lot that's going on in life, but we need not get entangled in it where it like consumes us and we're, we're just, again, we're, we're taking on information from the world and we're forgetting the rightful position of which we stand. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We have a kingdom that can't be shaken anymore. God's kingdom cannot be shaken. No matter what happens with this kingdom, with America, no matter what happens with the other governments around the world, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is the last verse I'm going to share this morning. Philippians uh, chapter 2, 15. Paul's writing that you would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shine as lights in the world because we bear a name and that name and the light that we live through is through Jesus Christ. He's the one who has brought us into the family. He's the one who's paid a price. And he is the one in whom we serve and the one we follow. So despite what's going on in the world and the current events, I will live this life through Jesus Christ. I will live this life in my new identity. This is who I am. This is who you are. And this is how it is like you to act. We got a kingdom that can't be shaken, so be a good cheer. Like I said, this is, this is good. All is well. It really is. All is well. Be encouraged. You got a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm going to pray with you. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your plan of salvation that we can be brought into your family, that we don't have to think and we don't have to worry about the things we don't have, but we can enjoy the things that we do. And we know that you are a God in whom just pours out to us far more than what we could ever ask or imagine. And God, we just thank you for being our sufficiency. We thank you, Father, for protecting those that don't see, that aren't in the family of God, that haven't accepted your son. And I pray, Father, that their hearts would be open to the truth and to see the joy, the blessings, 
and the glory that is found in your household. So God, we just thank you. I pray, Father, for everybody listening in right now, that you would just bless their hearts, that you would help them think as a son and as a daughter, that you would help them see themselves the way that you see them. That fear would not be, be, be named or seen among your people. That shame wouldn't be seen or named. Frustration, discouragement. But that we would be children of hope. That we would shine as lights in this world, God. We love you so much. And it's through my Lord I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Thanks, Gary. Oh, man. So, I don't know about you, but I'm psyched to uh, get out there and let everybody know what my new last name is, right? Good stuff. Well, uh, we're, we're thankful that you guys joined us this week, um, and we look forward to broadcasting next week. I do, I do want to make a couple of announcements. A uh, reminder that tomorrow night and, and every Monday, we do do a full prayer service, uh, and the Zoom link will be on our website, as well as on the uh, slides afterwards. Um, and also, uh, you know, the principles of giving and receiving are pretty well documented through 